Howdy! Welcome to the Gateway to the Smokies podcast. This podcast is about America's most visited national park, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and the surrounding towns. This area is filled with ancient natural beauty, a deep storied history, and rich mountain cultures that we explore with weekly episodes. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, a man of the world, but also with deep roots in these mountains. My family has lived in the Great Smokies for over 200 years. My business is in travel, but my heart is in culture. Today, we're going to talk about Lyric Mountain and Woodsong songwriting retreats. But first, a little bit of, uh, of, uh, of uh, you know, uh, uh, overhead we got to talk about. First of all, this is my last uh, podcast in New York City. Uh, I don't know, you know, I've, had, I've been doing it between New York and North Carolina, but now... Uh, we're, uh, me and my family, we're all moving down to Western North Carolina, and uh, hopefully I can maybe have some, some of the podcasts out in out my backyard, which is just a, a forest, so we'll see. Uh, but uh, uh, I'm going to you, tell you a little bit about some sponsors. First, we, uh, I want you to imagine a place evocative of motor courts of the past, yet modern and vibrant with a chic Appalachian feel, a place for adventure and for relaxation. Imagine a place where you can fish in a mountain heritage trout stream, grill the catch on a fire, and eat accompanied by fine wine or craft beers. Imagine a place with old-time music and world cultural sounds. There is no other place like the Meadowlark Motel in Maggie Valley, North Carolina. Your Smoky Mountain adventures start with where you stay. Another sponsor is Smokiesadventure.com. That's Smokies, plural, AdventureSingular.com. The Smoky Mountains and surrounding areas is a vacation destination for all seasons. Some of the nation's best hiking trails, waterfalls, outdoor adventures, and family entertainment can be found right here. Start your adventure by using Smoky's Adventure to explore all the wonderful features of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Trails, waterfalls, Cades Cove and more. Then check out all the awesome family attractions and entertainment you and your entire family can enjoy. And then if you have outdoor life events like weddings, honeymoons, romantic adventures, you can find more information about great places to have them. The goal of Smokies Adventure is to be the leading information portal for adventures and experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains. There's some events coming up. Uh, in Maggie Valley, there's a Maggie Valley Festival Grounds, which hosts world-class entertainment, events, arts, crafts, uh, car shows, music, concerts. And so on May 31st through June 4th, they're having slingshots in the Smokies, which is, uh, slingshots are a type of motorcycle. Well, I think they're known for the three, being three-wheelers. And, uh, and the 8th Annual Slingshots in the Smokies, is, which is known as the Super Bowl of Slingshots events, will be taking place in Maggie Valley. Um, and it's uh, and there will be some new uh, uh, there'll be some new additions this year, uh, and there'll be some uh, music and shows and food and all sorts of stuff. So check it out, um, May thirty first through June fourth at the Metal Arc, June third through the fifth. We're having the Plot Fest reunion weekend. The the Plot Dog is a state farm as a state the state farm is the state <laughs> is the state dog of the uh, North Carolina and it, and the family that brought the dog uh, to uh, the United States is the Plot family who who resided for the most part in Haywood County and Bob Plot uh, who is the general manager of the Metal Arts Smoky Mountain uh, Heritage Center and he is leading uh, a uh, 
uh, an event to bring uh, plot hound aficionados and, 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 and fans together to celebrate the plot hound where they will have um, the, with an officially sanctioned UKC bench show uh, and other comp- competitions. There'll be special award series, raffles. There'll be roundtable discussions with the, with the plot breed icons. There'll be history programs. There'll be free barbecue dinner, and there'll be a traditional country music concert featuring Will Ritter, Will Ritter and Tim McWilliams on Saturday night. This is this was a huge event last year. Everybody loved it. It's it takes you back in time to hound dogs on the farm, um, and you get to learn a lot about things and get some memorable story because everybody there is a storyteller. Also, to Meadowlark on August twelfth to thirteenth, we're having a songwriters camp. Uh, it's a, a songwriters camp and concert with Grammy-winning artists Jim Lauderdale and Charles Hemphrey III, along with award-winning artists such as Darren Nicholson, Clay Mills, and Charles Chamberlain. It's a two-day event of interactive songwriting instruction for world-class musicians, and a demo tape will, produce, will be produced for each participant. And there will be a concert of songs from the road band on Friday night and a barbecue dinner and all-star concert on Saturday night. This is going to be a unique event like no other, and space will be limited to ensure individual attention is given to all participants. The price is $675 per person, includes all the activities and demo dates and and concerts and barbecue dinner. Uh, And then there's special uh, pricing for rooms, uh, and there'll be room packages as well. Call 828-926-1717 for details. And there's also a limited amount of concert tickets available for general public. Uh, and uh, and those are available on both Friday and Saturday night, and they're $30 each. And again, you can reserve your spot by calling 828-926-1717. So somebody knows about songwriting, <laughs> probably should be teaching at that songwriting camp, camp or having her own, um, is Louis, Louisa Branscombe. She uh, is an Alabama native and is a Grammy award-winning songwriter, musician, band leader, teacher, psychologist, author, and pioneer trailblazer in the bluegrass music and clinical psychology fields. You don't hear those together very often. She has spent the past 33 years combining her talents and passions to lead songwriting events at her artist retreats, first at Woodsong Farm in North Georgia and today at Lyric Mountain Songwriter Retreat near Asheville, North Carolina. She has mentored over 1,000 strong songwriters during her storied career. Hello, Louisa. Good evening. It's nice to see you here. Yes, good, good. Hey, I read somewhere uh, that you started writing melodies at the age of four. Now, I have, I have a daughter about to turn four making up songs. Does, does that portend, portend well? <laughs> I think, uh, you know, we hear melodies all around us. We just don't call the melodies, whether it's the refrigerator or the birds or, and I think, you know, when kids have the freedom to be tuned in, they're thinking in melodies from age four. Yeah. I think it's great age. <laughs> That's great. Well, do you remember your first uh, song, uh, any from four or maybe soon after where you composed something? Yes, I do remember it. Are you what gonna was it? what it was about? Cause it's not very profound. <laughs> oh, that's all right. Uh, what, what was it? It was called Ishi the Fishy. And um, the funny thing is, I actually have learned some lessons about songwriting from this song. And the, the, the song goes, Ishi the Fishy couldn't be much thinner. So we had her for our dinner. 
Now, what you don't want to do is try to pick a word that rhymes just because it rhymes, like thinner and dinner. Um, but the truth of the matter is, I think one of the key ingredients of songwriting is the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes, in this case, a fish, and feel compassion and, and think about what it is like from from their point of view. So that's, that's empathy is what that is. And I think whether we're writing about a tree or a fish, of course, they don't have shoes. But right. <laughs> to be able to indwell a uh, a person whose life is different from yours and then write about them mm-hmm. uh, i think uh, teaching our kids to have the freedom to be tuned in and feel compassion for things around them is just a wonderful thing and uh so that's what i learned as an adult from ishi the fishy um it was at a birthday party and the poor fish was caught on a hook and uh and by the way, that that's probably a metaphor too, caught on a hook, because the first thing you have to have in a song is a hook. So, that was <laughs> so well, that's good that you remember it. You know, I remember my first painting. You know, I do a little bit of art, and uh, you know, I was, I was, you know, you, you don't want to get, you know, you and, and there's one school of painting trying to evoke emotion, right? Uh, and you know, and uh, so I probably would, would have been, I would probably sincerely myself in that school, but my first one was a little bit over the, over the top. It was a, a flower with a tear on it. <laughs> uh, no, it. It's over the top compared to what we seem to value these days in the culture, but it's really what's needed, I think, is, uh, you know, and that, you know, we look back on these stories and they seem kind of embarrassing, but really they have the ingredients for life, the ingredients for art's job in the world, which is to bring us back to the flower and the tear, which reminds me of the, you know, my favorite song was Davy Crockett, because I mean, I thought the idea of a frontier was just awesome. And only I thought it was fun tear. So oh. my, my grandmother saw me playing on the rug and I said, and I was singing Davy Crockett. I just definitely wanted to be a pioneer. And, um, I, but I called her in from the kitchen and said, what's a frontier? And she said, well, like on this rug, everything past the edge of the rug, that's the frontier. And I said, grandmother, it's frontier. And she said, <laughs> and I said, oh, I thought you always have fun, and but there's still tears. And I've decided. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! You, know, some- <laughs> you were you, you were getting deep early, weren't you? <laughs> well, trying to figure it all out, you know. I had uh, the driving interest in in trying to understand. I think the unknown, and and um, so I don't know if I was really cut out to be a pioneer or not. But uh, Rocket was my favorite song, and <laughs> you know, we look back on these things and we find, you know, we were probably right <laughs> when we. <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny that you say that, you know, uh, my, my two children, my two and a half year old, but you know, um, actually three and a half, what am I talking about? Um, that we named them, you know, short, interesting names, but they were sort of classic names. And we, and we started, I started singing a little tune to their, to their names early on. And I still do it to this day. And I do it for both of them because I both want to have them, you know, to uh, try to figure out what that, what it means and, and, and the sense of adventure implies. And it, it's to the tune of Davy Crockett. And I'll go, Henry, Henry Wyatt, King of the Wild Frontier, Anya, Anya Rose, Queen of the Wild Frontier. <laughs> I'm sure that'll sink in at some level. At you some know? point, that's something <laughs> they'll figure out. It's going to be, Joseph. You, hopefully you'll like the unknown territory that they decide to jump into. <laughs> they are already doing it, let me tell you. 
Oh, well, listen, uh, we have to take a break already. Um, it's been interesting quite so far. And let's get back into you know, getting into your clinical psychology and other things that you're doing and then talk about your, you know, of course, your, your, your music. All right. Talk to you soon. Howdy, this is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast and my guest, Louisa Branscombe. So, Louisa, you were um, you were born in, uh, in the Adirondacks and then you got raised mostly in Alabama. Um, and you were a prodigy. At age 11, you won first place at the Alabama Student Music Composition Contest and performed with the Birmingham Sympathy before an audience of 2,000. What was that like for a young girl? Well, I sort of froze, and <laughs> I weighed about 65, and the conductor was trying to get me to play louder, and I just got quieter and quieter, and <laughs> at the end, he finished with a big flourish, uh, uh, and I, I, don't, I don't remember the, the rest of the day, but actually, as I look back, I, you know, you start looking back at some point in life, and you realize there are lessons in the memories that we keep for some reason, and I think that that um, blessing in that was the idea that I might create something that had worth. Wow. I was 11 and um, it, it was a tall order for me. I was very shy, but I learned about this thing that when you compose, it connects you to other people. And then there are all these musicians playing my song. And, and at some level, I think I must have learned about how music brings people together. And that's been a a theme of, of what I've wanted to do in my life, all my life, really. Now, was that classical music? Yes, it, it was. Well, I mean, it had a melody. I mean, I'm, I'm very melodic. I was making uh, melodies, but it, yeah, I played it on the piano, and it um, uh, supposed to be classical music. It wasn't very sophisticated. So, <laughs> Well, you're 11, but... I don't think... But, uh, but you had a country... I, I, heard, I heard you had a country music singing cousin in Texas named Ben who gave you uh, your first guitar... And he was, uh, he brought you into the country music world, didn't he? Yes, he said, you can't play that Mexican guitar with nylon strings anymore. And I got back to college and he had sent me a, a Martin 0021 and, and I still have that guitar. I love it. Wow. And that's, you were, you were at Randolph Woman's College. Now it's known, known as Randolph College. Uh, why'd you go there? I, I love the Appalachians. <laughs> I think almost looking back and actually it was y'all's, uh, topics for tonight that made me recognize that I've been like the little pin that you put down on your GPS. You know, I've been like this little pin that went up and down the Appalachians all my life from sort of up in Virginia all the way down to the ridges where the mountains start in Alabama and right now um, Asheville, North Carolina. And I, I guess they must have sort of run through my soul <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't aware that I was sort of everywhere I've been has been Appalachia. Um, That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, you know, you got a long way to go because you know if you consider Appalachian going all the way up, what three thousand miles all the way. But not only that, like a hundred million years ago, there was an even longer trail that broke in two when the continent split. And now the other parts over in Ireland and Scottish, and there's an international Appalachian Trail. So you've got a lot of places yet to live. <laughs> <laughs> Better, better get those delta miles going. <laughs> yeah, you better get those. <laughs> so, uh, 
So you, um, so that you ended up in North Carolina after you graduated. Why did you go to there specifically? And Blue, where was it? In North bluegrass Carolina? took me there. Bluegrass <laughs> took you there. I uh, learned to play bluegrass at Randolph-Macon Women's College with a good friend named Sally Wingate, who was a great uh, banjo player. And, uh, and I just fell in love with it instantly. And uh, so I got a flat pick and got my, my steel string guitar and, uh, we had a little band, and but I went to um, Winston-Salem. My first job was there at Bowman Gray School of Medicine, but I really went there to uh, play bluegrass. It was a wonderful seat of bluegrass music, and I've, I've kind of found out that each each center of, of, uh, of acoustic music has its own personality. So I learned an awful lot in the beginning from the Winston-Salem, Mount Airy, Hillsville, uh, Galax, Fancy Gap players, and... Um, we played a lot of square dances and that's how I got my chops. And I was just on fire to write. So I had written, I guess about 500 songs that I had carefully at that time. And I had written steel rails. So that was in 1971. But your first chart hit was actually in Japan, right? Uh, Amazing how much you know about me that I almost (laughs) forgot. (laughs) It actually was. And it was a song called Blue Ridge Memories. Here we go again. Um, (laughs) And uh, it was, uh, I sang that on our first, second, our first or second Boot Hill album. That was the band I had in Winston Salem with uh, Sam Sanger, and I uh, played with throughout the seventies. Wow! So, but you know, also at the same time, you made the decision to start uh, education, psychology, and education. What, what, uh, what, what was what, what, what spurred you to do that? Well, I had been on the road playing banjo for 10 years, and I decided that I just couldn't eat McDonald's hamburgers. And <laughs> part of it was truly that um, I felt like I needed a break from the road. Being a woman in bluegrass in the 70s, um, it was incredible. Um, <laughs> incredible to be a bluegrass musician during that very um, creative time in bluegrass moving. Well, you and Sally were the first woman's uh, bluegrass band, right? We, we, we had one, certainly one of the first, and yeah. we, we uh, Bluegrass Liberation, we were in 1971. And, uh, but regardless of gender, just being in bluegrass in the 70s yeah. was uh, – it, it just was so inspiring and, and um, to be in that shift in the music, bring in more younger players, um, Sam Bush and others at that time. But I also felt like uh, being on the road, I needed a little break to figure out who I was. And I always had a fascination about people and, and learning about uh, people and, and kind of the human spirit. How do we survive it all? And so that's part of what led me to go back to school in psychology. But I kept playing. I've never stopped performing and being in a band. Wow. So uh, you graduated in 88 from, with a Ph.D., impressive, from Georgia State, uh, uh, um, you know, things. But then almost immediately you started getting real success uh, you know, with their, their huge song "Steel Rails" with Allison Cross report, recorded. That's you wrote it in the seventies, but it became a big hit in ninety one, didn't it? Um, well, I'm I'm eternally grateful to what Allison did with the song in nineteen ninety one. It had been recorded quite a few times by then, starting with Mel Tillis, believe it or not, um, who I had the great fortune to meet and spend the day with 
and uh, he published some of my songs. He recorded Steel Rails, but he didn't he didn't release it, although I do have it. And um, then it was also recorded by the McPeak Brothers and by my band, Boot Hill. And Allison heard my version of it and unbeknownst to me, recorded it. And then I found out one very memorable night at the station in accidentally that she <laughs> had this hit on Steel Rails. Oh, wow. And what do you think? What would you think about her version? Why it became such a hit, and and how it actually brought so many new people to bluegrass? Uh, in a word, it, because of Allison. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, she she's she's so beyond gifted. I don't think there's a word for it. And whenever she touches a song, you know, it turns to soul gold or something like that. <laughs> you know, she she um sang the heart of that song. And uh, it's a very simple song, and and as someone who can do simple elegance is Allison. She she's always had been such a master of taste and and knowing when not to sing. And she was so wise beyond her time. So to deliver a song that I always thought was sort of dorky and 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 simple and um, make it so, in her hands so elegant. Um, I think that's a big part of it. But I've also, you know, also thought a lot about um, why that particular song would appeal to people. And I'm still learning what it is that makes a song connect with other people. So, um, and in that song, for example, I think it's the images that um, the song has almost no conversation, almost no sentences like you speak to someone. It's just a string of images. Mm-hmm. And the, the powerful thing about an image is that it allows people to connect with this energy around the image. If you don't have an image that's too tired or too obscure, if you find an image that's universal, uh, like, like the lamp behind me on the mantle, which is an image that Tim O'Brien used brilliantly. Um, uh, the lamp is burning on the, on the mantle, I believe is one of his uh, intro lines on a song. And it, it allows people to immediately connect with their emotions and it bypasses the part of the brain that thinks too much. Mm-hmm. Song is married to time. It's not like any other art form because it's married to time. It passes tied to time. So for the listener, they have to be able to get your song as it goes by. Think of it as a train with windows. They have to get every window as it goes by because if they get lost, they miss part of your song. Mm-hmm. The beauty of a song that's mostly images is people can sort of go into their own reverie about what those images mean to them. So I asked Allison once, what was the image that, or what draw, drew her to the song since I, I was the last to know. <laughs> and she said it was the line, um, winding through the trees like a ribbon in the wind. And uh, so I always learn from my songs by people giving me feedback. Well, that's cool. So, so you, I, I mean, it's very interesting to me because right at this, about the same time that you, you know, you, you got your PhD in psych, clinical psychology and you also started your, uh, your, your first songwriting camp, right? Um, um, what was it? The, um, what was the wood, wood song, farmer songwriting treat in, in, in North Georgia. Um, and, you know, and there's a, you know, there's a there's a history of uh, musicians getting their PhDs. Like I think Dr. John Starling, uh, with the classic seldom seen band, uh, gave up touring because of that. Of you know, he pursued his professional degree more than he was pursuing. 
but you seem to have managed to work at both of them simultaneously for the next 30 some years. How did you manage that? What made you, what, why, why didn't you choose one and how did you manage it? I, I think that's a valid question. And I'd probably say that my heart had two directions and to leave either one, either um, this desire to connect with people and learn about the resilience of the human spirit through uh, being a clinical psychologist and also very interested in creativity and how do people transform life? You know, we life is hard for everyone. So mm-hmm. I think art is one way we transform it. And then the other side of me, I think music is in my bones. I mean, my father took me to blues uh joints in Birmingham on the other side of what we used to say, the other side of the tracks where mom didn't know he was taking me because um, he, he knew a lot of the people in those clubs where I was so lucky to be touched by the authenticity of the blues in the African-American people in Birmingham who sang in these dives. And my father knew some of them because he worked with them they had TB and some of the illnesses that he treated, but he, my dad played par- harmonica. He played blues harmonica and he played stride piano. So then uh. we would walk in and I was 12 or 13 and they go, Hey doc. And dad would sit in and play with them. And um, again, it's a, it's a story I look back on and think um, I learned something. Music joins us together. It, it's much more important how we're alike in life than how we're different. And uh, and seeing my dad um, surrounded by so much love and the love that he had for other people through his work, uh, mm-hmm. being a health provider, and then through his music, I guess I tried to carry on and wear both hats myself. Right. I think that's lovely. And it makes me think that maybe we should have our politicians sing their, uh, their positions and talk about them. <laughs> require them, and we should require them to write a song the right yeah. way. Yeah. They are. <laughs> All right, we have to take another break, and we'll come back. We'll talk about your uh, your, your your songwriting camps. Smokies podcast and my guest Louisa uh, Branscombe and 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 I think we have to do everything twice right now right uh, <laughs> we got commercials try twice we got intros twice uh, what else can we talk about twice but uh, anyway we'll, <laughs> so we'll we'll move on how's that all right so uh, Louisa in uh, 1987 mentioned before you started the Wood Song Farm songwriters retreat in north georgia um so what was the concept and how did you come to own the farm and or locate your retreats there um well i probably have to be honest and say that in my life a lot of times i do things simply because i'm drawn to them or uh, moved by um some kind of uh passion about it but then i don't figure out the concept until later so when i I look back, I know that for me, when I'm, uh, I do my best creating when I'm in nature, or at least surrounded by uh, nature in a beautiful setting where all of the stress of life seems way far away. And for me, that was my farm. 
And I felt like my farm gave me this connection to my own humanity. You know, when we're not stressed and we're not um, having to be anxious and afraid about things around us, that really helps dissolve a lot of our defenses where we can be in touch with what makes us most human. And those are usually, that's usually the best place to write from. So I think I was probably wanting to share the farm as a place that nurtured people as writers. And there's something about the past as well, like when we're connected to to people in the past who have had a hardworking uh, work ethic, which is true of the Appalachians and true of North Georgia is in the southern, you know, the, the tip of the Appalachians uh, with cotton farming that my, my farm was a cotton farm. It was 150 years old and um, had many relics around me. I was only, I was the first new family to own it. So um, it, it gave me a connection deep, deeper than my life, you know, to other lives where music was so important, where uh, the two uh, girls in the family sang, listen to the mockingbird and, and put salt on their, you know, they, they uh, licked salt out of a spoon because they thought it made them sing better. And when they played on my album, there was like salt all over the floor. But, <laughs> you know, these things that brought me back to the essential Appalachian heritage, like a song, like uh, listen to the mockingbird, um, they grounded me in my own creativity. So though I've tried to be, um, uh, newer or have my own unique way of writing like we all do i'm very aware that it comes from this thread that goes deep into the heart of the the mountains that i come from and that that's a big part of me so i try to i try to bring that setting to other writers and that that cultural history we don't have to talk about it you can just look at like uh the old ironing board in the corner over here am i going the right way right uh, here it is over there, um, is uh, a reminder of um, when life was not easier, but more transparent, simpler, that we all need. I think it helps us reconnect with ourselves. Is that what was the, um, so bringing people into a, a, a sort of a elemental environment was part of the plan for the, the songwriting retreat it was actually a real retreat from from uh, everything a real retreat and then we always had a theme that somehow was designed to make a place that was um nurturing and inspirational for the songwriters and that and i think that the farm itself was the biggest teacher without being spelled out when people and I've had this feedback from, from songwriters now for, you know, 35 years is that when they crossed the threshold to the farm, they felt in another world that was safe and uh, inspiring with nature all around and the songs of the birds and the, the songs of the, the tractor in the distance and the train in the distance. All of these things um, let, I think, let people dissolve these normal defenses that we have to protect us from the world and let us connect more quickly with each other and trust each other. Um, sort of, uh, there was just an implicit trust that the farm, I think, gave. And um, that allowed us to be better songwriters and to listen to each other's work and to be inspired because you didn't have to try to protect yourself right. in the world, away from the real world. <laughs> and, and did you combine your psychology into your retreats as well? Not in an intentional way. Um, again, I think looking back, uh, the, some of the things that I hope make me a good teacher as a songwriter instructor 
um, are the same ingredients that have made me interested in connecting with people through sharing people's journeys as a psychologist and understanding people's journeys. I feel more a facilitator than a teacher. And I think that's when we're our best is when we're listening to the other person and trying to understand what they're trying to say, whether, whether it's a conversation or, um, or a song or someone sharing their, their journey and their hardship. Um, I worked a lot with veterans and, and I worked with veterans at a very young age because I felt like I was out singing songs about peace during the Vietnam War and I wasn't very grown up and I didn't really realize what the hardship of war was. And so I wanted to pay it uh, forward by working with veterans as a psychologist. And I learned so much about how people transform hardship because veterans know about that better than most of us. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was often inspired or I worked with a veteran to help them tell their own story. And I would say, hey, if you put that in one line, what would that line be? And that's the hook. And any of us, you can do this yourself. If I ask you right now, what is one line that captures how you are in this moment? Hey, why don't, I'll put you on the spot, Joseph. What would it be? And, you know, six words or less. I'm in transition. Yeah. Okay. So um, moving on or, or transition is a little long for a, for a time. Well, I'm moving on to a new phase of life. Yeah, you know, new phase of life. There you have it. New phase of the moon. You know, there's a lot of, you know, the eclipse is over. New mm -hmm. phase of life. So then you work with those images. And um, but but back to something more important, which is, as humans, we we get so cut off from our humanity mm -hmm. um, because we're so busy trying to protect ourselves from that onslaught of of information and and the hardship around us and all around in the world. And so we need these places where we can let down and find our creativity and find our own humanity. And that's the thread that connects us to some universal um, experience or image that that's what a song touches other people with. So there's an intimate connection between being safe in the natural world, I believe, to being creative. So you've, um, you've, you know, several times here you've connected music to healing and, you know, and, um, you know, and, you know, ex you know, a, a, a experience, internal experience that produces a better world and things like that. Um, do you have, at your retreats, do you have specific examples of where people have been changed? I've, I've uh, been very touched by some of the stories that I get um, after my retreat. And um, many times I've heard, you know, I thought I was coming to learn to write songs and I left transformed. And now who I am is different. So how I write songs is very different. Mm -hmm. uh, and that always touches me to hear. Again, I, I just try to create a place. And uh, but I'm but I'm pretty focused on how I do that. I don't allow like a lot of uh, interference coming in from other things. And I try to establish a setting of trust. I've also heard that people uh, came to, they thought to learn about songwriting, but they felt healed from something in their life in the process of, of connecting with what they wanted to say in the song. Right. So I think that I've heard a lot that the songs they wrote at my retreat were transforming for them. 
And through this, I've learned that not only do we transform life by taking a little piece of it and putting it in a song, uh-huh. but it, but our songs transform us. And people don't talk about that much, but I have learned so much by listening to my songs. Mm-hmm. That might sound kind of like, well, are you listening to yourself? Not really in my way of thinking. Because again, I think all of this is creating an open channel through something bigger than me to come through. Um, something about the whatever your spirituality is, your, the collective unconscious or the universal human condition mm-hmm. or God. Um, when that's flowing, because I'm open enough for it to flow, then often I'm surprised by what my songs say, and they make me feel better, or they make me know myself better. So I think maybe that's the thing people are picking up on when they say that about the re- retreats that I have. Well, I think that, you know, I think that retreats retreats are actually incredibly important for people to take in their lives, right? Especially ones that are dealing around creativity. I mean, I've had some... You know, some fundamental experiences, you know, after my second wife died and we'd been married for 20 years, I went to a Joseph Campbell's, you know, Hero's Journeys retreat, which was about exploring creativity in life. But at one point they had us do a funeral for something we wanted to let go. And, you know, I just a year earlier done a funeral for my wife and it was, I got him thinking about that. But what I ended up doing a funeral for was um, for, for, for the Mr. and Mrs. Joseph McElroy the identity, the identity that I'd had for 20 years, which I hadn't let go. And I needed to say goodbye to it properly to move on in my life. And it was a transcending experience. And it was, you know, a creative retreat. I think what you, what you describe here can produce that kind of profound effect for people, I believe. That's a, you just said it brilliantly and not coincidentally, I'm hugely influenced by Joseph Campbell's model of the, of the hero's journey. And I believe that it takes a lot of courage to engage with when we're in a huge life transition. I'm in one right now, so <laughs> I don't feel courageous every day, but I do feel like um, at that point in the journey when we're in the dark night of the soul, like we're in the middle of change and mm-hmm. we're not to the next place yet, like there is a death. There is a death of ourselves. And we don't get to hold on to, uh, you know, we're not like those mountain climbers and they're in a sling and somebody's going to pull the rope. It feels like we're falling off the mountain and because we can't use the same solutions that we had before because we're changing. And in the, in the model of the hero's journey, you have to have that free fall. And then you find what it is you need to say and what it is you need to do in your life that moves your journey forward and we have to be willing to take the risk of that or like back to davy crockett yeah go into the wild frontier of our souls to do that and it's 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 very uncomfortable and this whole last two and a half years has been very uncomfortable because i've myself find found i couldn't stay stuck because how i was the world was changing too much. And so I had to find a new part of me to be with the new world. Is that and, why you moved the, to a new, new, is that why you moved here to Asheville with the new I place? Moved, um, in part, yes. And <laughs> yes, I wanted some different things in my life than I could find in the rural area that I was in in Georgia. But I also, um, I think the pandemic was a big part of oh. it. happened after I moved. So I um, have not done a workshop in two years, not just because of the pandemic, but because I didn't know who I was. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, and I also haven't written very many songs. So um, actually, it was a song that I wrote about a week ago that um, kind of clarified to me where I'm at. It's like when you write a song, you're it's kind of like the guy on the top of the mountain and he's putting a stake. This is mm-hmm. me right now. I'm on top of this mountain. I know who I am. And um, I'm, I'm fascinated by these mountain climbing movies. Go figure. I watch Netflix, people climbing mountains all the time. But, um, you know, because I think I like to understand these amazing things we do as, as human beings that do bring out our core self. And so once I finally had the images come to me in this new song, which is the one we talked about me playing, um, I was ready to do a retreat. So after I wrote this song, about a week ago, and I don't even know if it's a good song yet. It might not be, but it clarified. It spoke to me and said, "This is who you are. This is where you are." And now I can authentically bring people back together again and do a new retreat. And I know what what we'll be talking about. Wow, that's, that, that, I mean, that is. I mean, I think that's a a good illustration of what uh, artists go through their life having is those moments where they feel uh lost and then they are able to find their way back again in a different way so uh that's fabulous um so you you now are having uh uh new retreats at what's i'm sorry i'm losing the name of it right this second what's that's the lyric, lyric mountain lyric, lyric mountain uh and that's going to be in the Asheville area yes that's i'm sitting at lyric mountain right now and uh we're in swananoa which is close to Asheville and Black Mountain. And um, it's a little mountain farm instead of a big old expensive Georgia cotton farm. And it's it's lovely. And we've been working on the main house here all year and, and getting it ready. So, um, Well, now I'm going to be in Asheville. I'm going to have to come out and visit, right? I hope you will. I hope you will. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, bring, the, bring the kids out to the farm. They love that sort of thing. Um, so when's the first retreat? I'm thinking that it'll be the second weekend in July, uh, July eighth weekend and um and my friends johnny and jeanette williams who are wonderful appalachian players uh, uh all levels of of songs from traditional to uh cutting edge um uh, johnny and Jeanette, jeanette are from danville they're coming down they've been on my retreats for many many years and um we'll have a small group and it'll be an experiential workshop and plenty of time to share songs and and uh, enjoy the new setting. And, and maybe the new setting will inspire us in some different ways. We'll probably talk about that too. Well, that'd be great. I mean, that, um, um, I look forward to uh, hearing hear how that comes out. So, um, you know, you, you mentioned that um, you had a song to sing. Do you want to sing that song? I'd be, I'd be glad to uh, try it out on you. Um, the, the, uh, my process with this song is how do you write, um, how can you do justice in a song to everything going on right now around us? Um, there's been, we're, we're in a new era. I think sometime in the darkness of, of the pandemic, we all got catapulted into a new era and we're waking up to what it even is. We don't even know how to be yet. It's such a profound quantum uh, change. And so I didn't know how to write a song to capture that. And then I realized, go back to steel rails. It's just images that we can connect with with that make us feel compassion and a sense of meaning. And that's all this song is, is a couple of those images. But uh, 
Uh, one of them came from um, a show I saw on the, uh, the the icebergs melting. Another came from the uh, newscast. I saw it on Anderson Cooper. You may have seen it on any channel of the little girl in Ukraine standing on the table and singing. Uh, she was five years old, seven years old, and in this bombed out basement with all these people crowded in with wounds and bleeding, exhausted and tattered. I'm sure, you you know, a lot of people saw this beautiful news clip. And and you saw the spirit of humanity just wake up in everyone in that room when that little girl started singing. And one more time, I was reminded about the incredible power of music to transform and heal. So that's in this song too, and it's called Gold in the Dark. What's come over me? I just can't do nothing right. Seems like the world is burning likewise, and the clock stopped turning clockwise. We're all ships lost in the night. I'm at the edge of the mountain, need a rock. I can count on, need your face at the window of my heart. Cause there's no winning when the war's won, and you and I don't need one, and you're my gold in the dark. Big white bear was running out of time. She was swimming for her life Like every homeless soul With nowhere else to go All she needed was a little patch of ice At the edge of the mountain Need a rock I can count on Need your face At the window of my heart There's no winning when the war's won You and I don't need one And you're my gold in the dark In a bombed out town We'll just call somewhere When everything was hopeless and so wrong A seven-year-old girl She stood up on a chair there she began to sing this song I'm at the edge of the mountain need a rock I can count on need your face at the window of my heart cause there's no winning when this war's done and you and I don't need one and you're my gold in the dark Oh my goodness, that was fantastic. Oh, thank you so much. That was an honor for having that played on this show. Um, you know, uh, that's, uh, there's not really much to say after that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been wonderful talking to you. Is there, um, is there ways people can find out more about what you do and uh, information to follow up from this program, like a website or something like that? Website's Louisa Branscombe online and um 
My Facebook page is, uh, of course, I'm visible on Facebook, and um, and my uh, email is branscombmusic at gmail. And I'd love to hear from anyone uh, about anything related to songwriting. We're we're a community, and uh, I've never met a songwriter I didn't really like, or anyone who's interested in helping us songwriters and being part of the community. And I sure appreciate what you guys are doing too. Oh, thank you. It's uh, yeah, we are a community of art and and uh, and, and and culture, and uh, it's it's sort of special. So uh, this is the. Uh, Gateway to the Smokies podcast. We're on facebook.com slash gateway to the Smokies uh, um, podcast. We're also on talkradio.nyc where the live broadcast goes out to uh, many people in New York City and other and around the world. Uh, the talkradio.nyc network is an interesting network. I, I recommend going to look at the many other programs they have. They're all live podcasts, ranging from self-help to small business to other travel shows. I have another one on here as well called Wise Content Creates Wealth, which is about marketing in the age of AI and content. Uh, and next week, we'll have another. Uh, next week is a rerun because I am moving next week <laughs> down to Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, but then the week after that, we'll have the live program from on Tuesdays for Gateway to the Smokies from uh, from uh, new, uh, from six six until seven p.m. And again, thank you, Louisa, for being on the show today. It's been a pleasure, and I look forward to seeing you again in the near future.